You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we are talking a topic we've never spoken about before. We're talking with one of my really good mates, Evan Cunningham Dunlop. He's the CEO and founder of one of my favorite online resources for property these days, the Property Tribune. You may not have heard of it. You may have. I hope you have. But we've got him in today to chat. So, Evan, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Trent. Great to be here. When did it start? What's the point of the Property Tribune? Obviously, the name gives it away. But where's Property Tribune going to be in a year, five years from now? And what's happening right now? Yeah, so I started the Property Tribune in the middle of a lockdown in Perth back in February of 2021. So we launched on February 1st, 2021. So it's just over a year old. Yeah, and so we're currently doing about 20,000 visitors a month are coming to the Property Tribune, which is pretty exciting to be you know already at that level after uh, only been going for that period of time. It is. We're already doing about 100 articles a week in terms of publishing as well. So That's a lot of contact, man. Huge amount of content. What are you talking about on a weekly basis to get 100 articles a week out? So we're very focused on financial property news. So we started with a bit of a broader sort of remit, I guess, in terms of where we were covering um, you know, property topics, but we've gone really deep into the finance aspects. So you smash out 100 articles a week. That means that every day we're looking on this, our press refresh is probably a new article coming up. Right now, I'm looking at what's happening in Ukraine and how that's going to affect the market. Max Cap grows $80 million fund for a brewery. Fernvale Village Shopping Centre sells $35 million of assets. $180 million Melbourne Hotel, triple net leased. Rest Sydney development site for sale. It's so much variability here. Industrial rents continue inflating. Tim Gurn has gone and bought another site for a $300 million development. That's just one a week for that fellow, it seems. There's so many pieces of information coming out here. Have you got any ideas as to what people are clicking on the most? What are people reading the most? What are people most interested in? So interestingly, we cover a pretty broad uh, array of different types of articles. Yes, you do. (laughs) Everything, right? Everything, right? And so the level of interest that people have is actually pretty broad-based as well. So the audience is very much an investor audience, but the types of articles that they're reading are geared towards those individuals. And I think that's one of the things that allows us to provide value. We're not just a one-sized-fits-all approach. We have information that people need to access for the types of information that they're specifically interested in. A lot of people are clicking on articles about the latest developments that are coming up. A lot of people are clicking on articles about uh, the latest commercial real estate transactions. Really, it depends upon the individual and the type of news that is interesting for them. I guess that's the point, right? It's, it's a broad church of all different types of people either looking for a quick stat, in and out, really quick bounce rate, or people who are reading an article for 15 minutes, listening and learning about Nathan Blackburn's life, for example, right? That's the point, isn't it? It's, it's, it's for everyone. If you wanted to look up any piece of information, what I've found is that so many of the good articles on the other websites they're behind a paywall a lot of the time you can get most of that information from the property tribune anyway Mm. yeah so we don't have a paywall Um, and you know that's a core aspect of how we want to operate we really want to be able to provide that information for people for free for them to access because we do want to be able to educate people that's the core uh, tenant of why we exist i think you know one of the things that we also allow people to do is not just read a specific article but read all of the articles that are related to a specific company or a specific entity or a specific association of some type and find that easily Mm. it's really hard to do that on other websites Right. You have to use tags and stuff like that. And most people don't understand that. But here, it's so easy. You can go, oh, yeah, bang. There's the other eight articles from this company. Right, exactly. You can just click on uh, the link that goes through to that company or you can do a quick search. It's very accessible. You've got a subscribe button on the website. And I hate subscriptions because they just don't leave me alone. If someone was to subscribe to the Property Tribune, 
how would we interact with that? Are we going to get bombarded 100 times a week with a new article or is there ways for us to be able to tailor what we want to read? So we have a daily wrap at the moment and basically it's just one email a day that comes out with the specific content that's been published over that last period of time, like the top seven articles from that day. If you wanted to unsubscribe, super easy. You click unsubscribe. There's no spamming or anything that goes on on the back of that. It's really, I guess, you know, our way of allowing people to have um, something that surfaces to them the news that they're interested in. For everyone listening out there, how would it compare to, say, receiving articles that you might read on Domain or realestate.com or the urban developer or real estate conversation? We've all read those places before, but how is the Property Tribune different? One of the things that's different about realestate.com.au and Domain, for example, is they cover a lot of content which is related to buyers or owner-occupiers. You know, it's a lot of lifestyle content. It tends to be, you know, a lot of volume, but not necessarily always deep when it comes to you know the content around property funds mm. for example or property investment opportunities a lot of the time they'll just feature if you look on facebook they'll feature a really sexy house in melbourne and that will be the article for example yeah. or it will be like a, an update on some quarterly data that they've received and those sort of things but you guys take it to an even deeper level from my experience yeah absolutely like ours is very much around helping people understand how they can make the right sort of investment decisions when it comes to property so we want to demystify property investment on a level that goes much deeper than just here's a cool house do you want to buy it yeah or perth's property market went up five percent this quarter i mean you guys i'm sure report on that anyway but the articles that i read on the property tribune.com.au they're certainly talking about more specific developments nationally not just in perth and it's great to say that this is a wa founded business by the way wa founded uh online newspaper i guess if Mm. it was 15 years ago it probably would have been hard print right Yeah, correct. Yeah, we actually thought about doing a hard print copy a little bit just for something as a sort of adjunct to what we had already. Because business news do a hard print. They do a hard print thing as well. But for us, you know, like one of our, I guess, skill sets is really being able to build something in the online space. We have a lot of capability on that front. So it makes sense to be online. And yeah, from a news perspective, for example, we cover a lot of content about what property funds are doing and how investors can make investments at different uh, levels of the capital stack. So we go deeper than just, you know, here's a cool place, you should buy it, or here's a, you know, an interesting thing that's happening in the market on a broad-based sort of basis. It's more around, here's what the return is from either this particular property fund or how this particular development went and, you know, where those opportunities are trending going forward. Give us an example. A good example would be an article we did with John Vickers and um, Marius Grobola from Ingwe. They're uh, a WA-based company? They're a WA-based company, yep. They did a big development in um, Como called Paradiso, which sold out. I think they had 51 apartments that they- Yeah, they recently sold that out only a couple of months ago, right? They did, yeah. Yeah. So I think that was over a three-year period from inception through to selling everything. So it did very well for them. But the article that we have done with the interview is really diving into what that journey was like for investors. So we looked at- um, you know their view and their take on the return on equity that the initial preferred equity holders had with that development and uh, you know the subsequent equity holders and also what the senior debt returns as well so from the article it was talking about that the equity holders had above a 60 percent return on investment over that three-year period and senior debt holders had an eight percent return on investment per annum so a lot of people don't get exposed to what that sort of journey can look like for an investor it can be a really tightly held secret how it all works there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in the property industry about oh where do you get your money from your investment from what are you paying what do you make some people obviously don't like to talk about their wins but and then when those that lose they certainly don't want to talk about that either yeah it's really hard for mum and dads especially who are interested in trying to pick it up to the next level ever really be able to know how to knock on the door and even whose door to knock on to get information that 
you've now made available mm. uh, on the Property Tribune. People call me, email me all the time saying, hey, Trent, love the podcast, but are there other pieces of information? You only do it once a week. Mm. Where else can I get my info on You know, that insider knowledge, right? Right. This is the place. This is why I've got you on because I, I really think you're on to something here. Thanks. Yeah, I guess if we look at my journey was as an investor, like the first thing that I did as an investor was I went out and I bought residential property and I bought that in outer a suburb yeah. and I put a tenant in it. And then I dealt with many years of having tenant issues. Yeah. Um, then How's I built, it going these days? <laughs> it's better than what it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been okay over the long term, but it's also taken a lot of time really, you know, as an individual as well. And uh, I run a couple of companies. So at the same time as running these companies, I'm also managing a couple of investment properties. I have a property manager and you know they do a great job. But nevertheless, if you get a bad tenant and that tenant trashes that house and that can kind of take a dark sort of turn. So for me, when I started investing in property, I didn't understand or have access to the sort of information that I needed to be able to make investment decisions beyond the typical sort of you know, yeah. Australian property investor your, journey. Your parent says, hey, you should probably buy a property and then you think, oh, I'm not going to buy one for myself, but I'll get an investment property. And that's nearly the level of information you had at the time, right? Pretty much, yeah. So yeah. my cousin was doing it as well, like quite a bit. And, you know, I was reading some magazines that were very much around that particular type of journey, looking at various types of, what is it, the Residex report, you know, which covers things around yeah. you know, like best yield and best best capital growth projected going forward and that sort of stuff. And that was really how I, you know, based a lot of my investment decisions. I had actually no idea, like, you know, what is mezzanine finance, for example, at that stage and, you know, what sort of opportunities might be available to an investor on that level. Is this online newspaper tilted more towards your sophisticated investors who are throwing in hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into developments or maybe interested in doing so? Mm. Is it also something that mum and dads that are just starting the journey could see benefit from. Definitely. You know, one of our core audiences is the sophisticated investor side of the market. You know, there's quite a high number of sophisticated investors in Australia. Well, it's, uh, it's obvious because the stuff you write to is very much quite sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. So we really try to be deep and specific in terms of the content. It's not fluff. We we go into the crux of you know what does make a good investment or what makes a bad investment as well. I guess you know the other aspect is as well. There's a lot of investors in Australia that are aspirational. So you know they're not content with just investing in small things on the side. They mm. really do want to become sophisticated. So. Uh, they need to know where they're going eventually. They may not be able to afford now to be a part of anything that you might be reporting on, but at least they know what that looks like one day. That's right. Yeah. And if we look at the various types of investment opportunities that are available, so, you know, there are some investment opportunities that are just for sophisticated or wholesale investors, uh, you know, which basically means that you need to have, uh, I think it's earning more than $250,000 per year or have a net worth of more than $2.5 million. Or investing half a million dollars into a project. Correct. Right. Yep. Those ones sometimes can be closed off, but then there's other ones that also can have close to the same sort of opportunity, but they might be available to retail investors. The thing about those retail investment opportunities is sometimes they can actually also be really bad as well. So having the ability to be able to decipher what makes a good retail investment versus a bad retail investment and being able to understand the fundamentals that impact that decision is a really important component for an investor's journey you know, on their path to not just staying in sort of, a, you know, their current income bracket, but wanting to grow that income bracket and become a sophisticated investor themselves. It's all well and good having all the reporting, I guess, on what's happening in the market right now. But another cool thing you guys are doing, and you've started it recently, but you've hit, got some pretty big hitters already in this space, is you started interviewing some pretty notable people. Nathan yeah. Blackburn, John Fung from Domain, Neville Potsy, you just put on there from Rewa. There's some guys with a lot of experience there. 
Yeah, thank you. Those guys, you know, are really great people for us to be able to interview on the the Tribune. It's um, we might have to get them on here on the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'd want to come. You yeah. know, you have a great podcast friend, so thank you. Yeah, I'm sure they'd want to be here. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting about the articles that like Nathan Blackburn and John Fung did in particular is they spoke a lot about the influence that their family had on their property investment journey, which is an interesting one when we tie it back to what we're talking about, you know, with what we're doing with the Property Tribune. Really, you know, one of the reasons that they were able to be successful is because they had family members that also helped them on their journey. So, you know, Are we talking about financial handouts here or other means? No, just education. Education and understanding of how things sit. So, you know, obviously, Nathan Blackburn had his dad, um, John, who was, you know, big in the property industry. And John Fung also had um, his parents who encouraged him to make his first investments at a really young age. I think the first property he bought was for $60,000. If he hadn't had that guiding hand, then, you know, perhaps he would have taken a different journey in life. So I think, you know, it's really interesting to see this influence that family can have and the ability to access that sort of information from trusted advisors can have it on an investor's journey. The reason I like the articles is they're quite long for starters. You know, there's multi-part articles and you don't have to do a forensic investigation into Nathan Blackburn's history, for example. If you want to know how the hell that fellow got to being so successful in what he does at Cedar Woods these days and what Cedar Woods are doing and how they're doing it mm. and that journey over the last 20-something years, the article sort of speaks to it quite clearly as to where he started and how that progressed and the challenges he had as well. So I would say hats off to that. The more people you can interview at that level, which is what we love to do here as well, and provide just stories because for a lot of young people or a lot of people at the start of their financial journey, they have aspirations, but it's like jumping over a river with your blindfold on. You know that the river's only certain width. You know that there is a way to get across, but you don't know where to step, where those stepping stones are. And until you've done them and you don't fall in the river, luckily, you're really not sure how that worked out. The way that we do get some idea to peep through that blindfold is to read stories about people who are a few steps ahead of you. I think one of the big aspects of stories, and I think you're really on the money with that, you know, stories are critical to understanding how someone can do something, is to understand the story of when it goes well, but also to understand the war stories as well. Mm, yeah. Like I do a lot of work in the startup space as well, and that's some of my favorite information to be able to uncover is, you know, when did something go south for someone? You know, how did they come a cropper and how can someone else avoid making that same sort of mistake in the future? Especially for people from WA the last five, six years, a lot of people of between 2016 and 2020 for a lot of people, especially the bigger companies that had lots of staff, big expectations. It was a treading water period for a lot of businesses in that time frame. So to hear about how they got through that, I think gives a lot of context for those people who might be struggling themselves. Not only do you guys run, act as a, I guess, a news house in that space, uh, an interview house, but also you're starting to list for developers, development sales. What's the play there? What are you trying to achieve? Is it a service to the developers where you, I guess you're advertising that way or is it a service also to the readership? Both. So one of the things about the development side of things is that with my other hat that I wear, I'm also um, the CEO of a digital marketing agency called Living Online. We do a lot of marketing in the property development space. So we have access to and already work with a lot of developers. One of the things that uh, I think is important from the way that developments work is that often when you're looking at a property investment opportunity, often those property investment opportunities are based around developments. And you've got particular ways that people can invest in those developments. The property funds are often obviously tied directly into the way that those developments are actually financed. So we wanted to close the circle between the understanding of 
where is this development coming from? How is it being financed? What does that opportunity look like? Who is a developer? What are they selling? What are those apartments, for example, or townhouses or you know, commercial, industrial, whatever it is, what do those opportunities look like from a sales but also an investment perspective and really kind of pull those two things together. So we're really kind of, I guess, creating a singular ecosystem where people can not just look at what they can invest in, but also can potentially look at what they can buy as well. Now, you're not a property expert. You are an online marketing expert, a digital agency expert. You're bringing your skills to property. But through the Tribune, given it is a national news house now, given that your readership is very much spread nationally, it reflects probably the population in terms of your percentages, I understand. What insights do you have as the guy who runs this thing, who sees all the data points, who sees where the conversations are going and coming from, How have things been moving over the last 12 months of what's being reported here versus the East Coast and the the mood? I think one of the key things is actually probably quite aligned to what you often talk about, Trent, which is that, you know, there's no singular property market. So if we look at Australia as a whole, that market is a very big country, but we've actually got a lot of microcosms in terms of the individual markets within there. So, you know, I've noticed definitely that look at the national publications, they're often talking about there being a property market downturn, but that's really very East Coast centric. Whereas in Perth, you know, we're still very much having an upswing from everything that I'm seeing and potentially a larger upswing over the coming months as well. So I think, you know, one of the the key aspects is that the way that news is reported is often quite homogenous. I you know, find it can be lazy as well. It's very lazy. Yeah. Like people from the East Coast nearly just don't even bother or care that there is a readership in the West Coast. So they just say it's national, even though we don't have the same story. And the same thing applies to how you look at it from not just a state basis, but also down to an individual suburb basis as well. Within the Perth property market, we've got certain suburbs that are performing very well and others that are not performing well. By the same token, we also have developments that are performing very well and developments that are not performing well. So I think one of the key understandings that people can get from reading something like the Property Tribune is to get a feel for where does the market sit, not on a holistic kind of all-encompassing basis, but where does the market sit either in the area that's hyper-relevant or hyper-local or with a particular development or with a particular provider who's offering an investment opportunity as well. All of those things are very different. When I read your articles, it's pretty obvious to see that there's still a lot of money in the East Coast. All the articles we talk that, that you've got here that talk to projects getting up, projects getting financed, how they got financed, projects being completed, partnerships being created. A lot of that's still East Coast and it's big numbers that if you put any of those in Perth, you go, that's a mega project. Mm. What's it going to take to get that money here? Uh, I think it's going to happen to some extent a little bit naturally over the coming months. So I think, you know, we're definitely going to have an upswing as the border opens again. And, you know, as we see people having migration back into to Western Australia, I think one of the things is that often success breeds the idea of follow-on success. So if something has done well, then people think, well, that worked. So then it can work for me as well. So I think, you know, part of it's got to be an organic sort of evolution. And you can't kind of really, you know, push something if people are just unwilling to do it. But Perth is an, an area for opportunity. It's it's a tremendously untapped area relative to a lot of the eastern states areas. We've got a great environment. We have, you know, tremendous um, work opportunities. We have you know, a very low relative median house price, for example, commercial real estate, which has been unloved, you know, during the pandemic um, for a significant period of time. We have inflation taking off. We have, you know, the market really roaring to life when it comes to 
uh, the economy in Western Australia. So there's a tremendous opportunity, in my personal opinion, for property investment within Western Australia. And we're also seeing some larger scale developments, both um, residential and commercial, taking off in the state as well. I think the first build to rent um, development in the whole yes. of Australia was in Western Australia. Yeah, Sentinel pushing that through in Subiaco. Mm. Um, there's a few coming, and that's a perfect example of where that's massive institutional money required with regards to the yields for that. You, you don't do a build to rent unless you've got pretty much superannuation-based levels of money. I'm alluding to really, there's a section on the Property Tribune that really, to me, it looks like an old yellow pages in a way. It's a bit of a registry of all the companies that you guys work with. These are the property developers. These are the financiers. Is the point here to be able to get people together and start talking and go, oh, these guys, I can give them a call. These are the articles that, they've, that we've spoken to about. I can read up about them. I can learn about them and I can maybe get in contact. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I think, you know, within the property development industry is that you have people that have been doing it for a long time. And then you have people in the same way that you have aspirational property investors. You've also got aspirational property developers, for example, as well. But not necessarily everyone has the same level of understanding of who are the best private non-bank lenders, for example, um, who are the best construction companies to use for particular types of um, construction projects. So we're wanting to create very much an industry portal that allows readers to be able to understand who were the developers, who were the construction companies, who were the lenders. That who was were actually, the architect. Who was the architect, who was the designer. Like, who was the planning company, correct, all this. Exactly, you know, on each particular development. So providing readers with the ability to access that information, I think will just level up the ability for people to lean into quality. Matt, I really appreciate the chat. It's definitely something where, as most people will know, I don't like to spruik or sell uh, anything on this podcast is all about information the reason i wanted to get you in today is because as i said so many people ask me where can i get more information well for everyone listening this is where you get it guys you don't have to pay for it it comes out a hundred times a week on average nearly everything you're going to want to know will probably be on here so the propertribune.com.au you can search everything you can go private investigative research in, into companies that you've heard of and want to know what they're up to it's all there and it will keep growing i'm sure and given the fact it's only a year old and it's already got so much information on imagine what it will be in five years congratulations ev well done on it keep going don't give up it's obviously doing so well already and, and it will be for it to become an institution in property information over the next few years which is where it's going already i think will be a big boon especially to to our listeners in, in wa but also nationally these days thanks very much i really appreciate it i um, really appreciate being on the podcast you just do a, such a tremendous job with what you do here and if we can add a little bit to that ecosystem then that's something that we'd love to be able to do Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!